Eddie and Dina Payton with us this morning. They're from the Hodgenville, Kentucky area. Attend in Elizabethtown, uh, Kentucky. Eddie's an elder there. Um, Leland is not with us this morning. David could have filled in for him, but uh, thought it was an opportunity for us to be able to bring Eddie here. Um, we've, uh, if you think back to, I believe it was uh, November, December time frame of 21. Um, we had requests to remember him as he was working on a missionary trip um, the country south of Florida. Um, we, uh, at that time, if you remember, there was a young lady that he was working with and trying to work to bring to, this air, to, to the United States. And uh, I'm going to let him really kind of fill you in on more of that. But uh, we thought it would be good for you to not only hear him and uh, some about that trip, but uh, put a face with that as well. And so uh, I don't want to take many more of that at the time, but uh, just so that you know, Eddie, um, his son, Nate, and our daughter, Carolyn, just to kind of again bring it full circle there. Um, we, uh, again, just wanted you this morning to know um, why we had We'd ask Eddie to come and Dina. Uh, they've been involved in this work for quite some time, and uh, he'll find that some of the things that he'll bring to your your attention this morning and share with you will be, I'm going to use the word daunting. Um, been able to talk with him and share, and he shared some things about that trip that is really an incredible, gives us an incredible perspective of how we have it here in the United States and things that he sees over there is incredible. So uh, without any further, I'm going to turn it over to Eddie. I'm going to assume that I need to be up here, not down there. Although I don't stay in one place very much and I kind of move as I uh, as I talk, I want to thank every, uh, the elders here for the opportunity to come and to talk about uh, that, that country south of Florida. The, the, the lesson right now is being live streamed and um, uh, is going to be saved and put on the internet. The lesson tonight is not going to be live streamed, so I'll actually use the name. But uh, the government there does monitor uh, the usage of the name of their country and then follows up to see why it was used, and uh, as you will learn tonight, uh, I could get in a lot of trouble by going there and preaching God's word, Uh, and so whenever I am not, when the lesson is being taped, I don't use the name uh, uh, at all, but tonight, tonight I will. Uh, As I said, I I appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and to uh, present God's word. Tonight's lesson is going to be about my trip that I just took to that country in June. Uh, and I asked, if possible, to be able to present another lesson along with that lesson, and they really go hand in hand, and the lesson this morning is, is really challenging. While it's not about that country, it's, it's about us in this country. After the lesson this morning and then after the lesson tonight, I think you'll see how they go together, uh, and they really go together well. 
And whenever I make a presentation, I've traveled to many different countries in mission work. Uh, I do speak Spanish. And, and, and I've given a lot of presentations. This is the third congregation since returning from uh, that country south of Florida uh, at the end of June that I've gone and talked to about the brethren in that country and introduced the congregations to those, to those brethren. Um, this, this, like I said, this lesson is, is more geared towards, towards us uh, and and I, I, I hope and I think that after the lesson this morning, you're going to probably be fairly challenged. And that's really what I want to do this morning is challenge you. I want to challenge you to take a look at the way you live uh, and examine it in accordance with the scriptures. And then tonight I'm going to present to you the way people in other countries live. So you can compare life in America with life in, in other countries, Christianity in America, with Christianity in, in, in other countries. This lesson was developed after a discussion I had with Leah. Uh, Leah is the English name uh, of Leonis, the young lady that Dina and I have been working to getting out of, out of that country south of, of, of Florida, and I'll, I'll give more of an update on her situation. But uh, back in, in September of 2019, we started the process of trying to get her out of that country, hired an immigration lawyer, and then did a lot of other things and spent a lot of money. And in August of last year, 2021, she was given a permanent residence card by the country, by this country which means she can come and live in this country legally forever. After four years, since she's a permanent resident, she can, re, she can become a citizen of this country. And uh, in August, on August 25th or 6th of last year, she received uh, that permanent residence card after two years of trying. Uh, and, and, and I called her, Dina and I called her, and we told her, and she cried. And then about a week later, she sent a text to me. And this kind of is what has, has got, this, got this lesson uh, uh, organized. And I, as I said, I like to present it whenever I talk about that, that country and the uh, uh, going there. She, she started off by saying, I have a concern, Eddie, and I want to talk to you, uh, talk about it with you. And she went on to tell me about her uncle. Her uncle was in that country, and he was able to leave that country. Uh, and he came to this country. He was a Christian. And after about six months, he fell away because of trying to achieve more and achieve a lot of things. He lost his soul by coming to this country because of the material wealth that this country has. And, and, and she told me this, and she said, you know, I, I don't want to come to America and fall away from God. And so we talked about that for a few moments. And then she said, I don't want to, and this was a phrase, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And you need to understand that last year at this time, in August of 2021, it was pretty bad in that country. It was about 30% to 40% inflation. They were going and switching from the, uh, uh, the pesos over to the American dollar and making it equivalent, making it equal. And that caused all prices to go up, but that country is a socialist country, so they're all paid the same amount of money. Doctors and garbage collectors get the same amount of money, $25 a month. Inflation was raging. 
The government supplies everything. They even supply the food. But because of COVID and the lack of tourism, that country uh, had no money, so they were not able to purchase things on the open market. And at the time, at that time, they were only able to give their people two weeks' worth of food. The other two weeks, they had to come up with it on their own. Most were eating eggs at the chicken's leg and laid and fruit off the trees. And prices were skyrocketing. And that's the background. And it's worse this, this year. And I'll tell you about it tonight. A whole lot worse. And she said, I don't know if I want to come to America. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And I asked her, just flat out asked her, do you want me to stop trying to bring you to America? And her response was, I don't know. She said, I'm going to take a few weeks and think about it. And so that really caught my attention a lot. And I started to think about this country and the blessings that we have in this country and Christianity. And that's what prompted this this lesson. And first and foremost, and I'm going to say this several times this morning, understand it is not a sin to be wealthy. It is a blessing. But with blessings come responsibilities. And, and there is no way to get away from the fact that the wealthy face many temptations and have many warnings about how they live as presented in the Scriptures. Understand that, that being wealthy is a challenge if you are to be a Christian. Note, uh, these are passages, and I'm going to have all the passages up here. You can turn if you want to. Uh, if you just want to write them down, you can write them down and then read them in their context. But these first few verses, I think, are familiar to all of us. Matthew 19, 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because when you're wealthy, you have such a vast accumulation of things, it becomes difficult. At least that's what I believe Jesus is saying to be a Christian. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says, Now he who received, this is the parable of the uh, saw, where he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, the word, and he becomes unfruitful. First Timothy chapter 6, we had read for us. I just want to concentrate on uh, verse 8 and verse 10, and having food and clothing, and with these we shall be content. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Notice that word greediness. That means accumulation, a desire to accumulate. Remember that as we continue this morning. And pierce them through with, with many sorrows. And finally, Luke 16, 13, and I could have verse after verse after verse, but I think this makes my uh, point about the difficulty of serving God and being wealthy. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And again, remember, it's not a sin to be wealthy. It is a challenge, Jesus is saying. So I guess the first question I want to ask is, who are the wealthy? Who are the wealthy? How would you define wealthy? Well, I'm going to use some 
definitions from the world. First of all, and I'm going to refer to this a lot in this, this, passage, this passage a lot this morning. To whom much is given, much will be required. Remember that, and I'll refer to it often. But who are the wealthy? Well, if your household makes more than $50,000 a year, you are wealthier than 99% of the world. If you make more than 50, if your household makes more than $50,000 a year, you're the 1%. You remember how sometimes our politicians talk about the one percenters? This is the one percenters, folks. Compared to the rest of the world, taken in the context of the world, this is the one percent. If you make more than $1,500 a year, you're wealthier than 80% of the world. 80% of the world makes less than $1,500 a year. That means, put it in context, that most of our high school uh, young people who have a job are wealthier than 80% of the world. Or, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment and have a reasonable, reliable form of transportation, you have more things than 85% of the world. Pretty easy to see everyone who is sitting here today are the wealthy of the world. Oh, what we like to do is we like to compare ourselves to the Bill Gates. Well, I'm not wealthy. He's wealthy. No, you're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. This country... 300 million people. There are over 8 billion, eight and a half billion people in the world. 300 million people. We have more than just about the rest of the world combined. To me, that is amazing. To me, that is amazing. And again, let me say right off the bat, though, it is not a sin to be wealthy. You think of Job and Abraham and Joseph. There were many individuals that were very, very wealthy, uh, mentioned in the scriptures that were faithful to God. Many in the New Testament were wealthy. It is not a sin. It is a challenge. We have looked at 1 Timothy 6 a couple times already, and we're going to do it several more times this morning. But notice verse 8. We are to be content not with comforts, but with the necessities of life. Notice it again there, down at the bottom. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. And there's going to be a lot of of distinction made between necessities and need and want in this lesson. Because I believe the New Testament makes a huge description between those two things. We are to be content with not with the comforts. And just let me say, when I go to that country south of here, and in July I went to Peru, uh, <laughs> there are two things, there are two inventions of mankind that I think are the best inventions of mankind, but they're not a necessity, but I enjoy them a lot. Air conditioning and hot water. We are one of the few countries in the world that has hot water heaters. And let me tell you, in Peru every morning when I woke up and I took a shower... Or same way in that other country that uh, in June when I was there, I'd wake up and I'd t- I didn't need coffee in the morning <laughs> after my shower. 
I was wide awake and ready to roll the rest of the day. Those two inventions are the, oh, let me tell you. And the third, which is very close to it, is indoor plumbing. <laughs> Those are just wonderful. But they're really not necessities. Food, clothing, shelter, and maybe throw in medicine. You have those, God says, you need to be content. It is a desire for wealth or comforts that leads one astray. That's what verse 9 is talking about. It's that desire for wealth, and I'm going to say comforts, that drives people away. Now notice verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which give us all things to enjoy. So let me just give you a visual of this verse with the other verses that we read, and then we'll, I'm going to take a look at two principles, and then the lesson will be yours. Paul says we can enjoy the wealth that God has given to us. But all those other passages, and I could have had a whole lot more say, but there, if you over-enjoy them, if you start serving them, if you start wanting those things, you will lose your soul for it. Somewhere in between there is a line. And I can't find it in the New Testament as to where that line is. But somewhere in between there is a line. And once you cross it, you're in danger of losing your soul. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take a look at just two principles, and I'm not going to do anything other than just ask some questions. And I'm going to have you all look at your own lives and answer the questions in connection to your own lives. Leah was wrestling. Uh, let me catch up with myself. First one is in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better principles. Just something to think about here. But in the Old Testament, God's people were required to tithe to God 10%. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. The Hebrew writer says we live under a better covenant with better promises. So I asked a question, should we be giving back to the Lord less today than they did under the, New, the Old Testament? Or more? Also realize if you add together all the sacrifices the Jews were to make under the Old Testament... Commentators say that the average Jew would spend, added to the 10% tithe, anywhere from 22 to 25% of their income each year. So one quarter of their entire income under the Old Testament went to God in some way. One quarter. How much of your income each year, each month, do you give to the Lord? Do you even know? Just asking questions. That's all this lesson is for the rest of the way. Some verses and then questions to be asked. Some will be uh, uh, kind of smart about it and say, hey, gross or net? I don't care. Do you know? 
how much you give back to the Lord out of your yearly or monthly income. Combined. And remember, there, there are two things that we need to be doing with our income for the Lord that the New Testament, and we'll talk about this in just a second and see some verses concerning that. But we give back to the Lord on the first day of the week. But that's not all we're supposed to do with our wealth, folks. We are to be helping other individuals with what's left. Just like the Jews were to only tied 10% and they had other responsibilities with the rest of their income for the Lord. We do as well. How much of those two areas every month do you give to the Lord? How much do you help other people with every month, every year, outside of what you give back to the Lord? How much each month do you spend on ice cream, cable television, streaming Netflix, Amazon Prime? How much do you spend on your cell phone? Every month. How much do you spend on eating out every month? Have you ever sat down and taken a look at your weekly grocery bill and just kind of highlighted what is a necessity and what is a comfort? And then added those up and determined how much you're spending on your comforts. And then comparing it how much you're spending on the Lord. I'll tell you right now, when I was studying after talking with Leah and thinking about this and meditating on this, I became very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Because the scriptures are pretty straightforward about this. Do you even have any idea? Because I'm going to tell you what, brethren. God knows. God knows. Compare all that and how much you give to the Lord every month. Let's go back a couple years now to the COVID money we all received. What did the money go for? Pay off debts, a new car, refrigerator, eating out? How much of that money, which was free money, did you give back to God? Any of it? All of it? 25%? Brethren, when you got those checks, did you even think about laying by any of that in store? Second principle. Luke 21, 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. He said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Now I want to take a look at both groups, the widow and the wealthy that are talked about here. First, let's take a look at the wealthy. Notice, first of all, that that first group, Jesus does not condemn them for putting in out of their abundance. He doesn't say they were wrong. But he doesn't commend them either. 
So he doesn't condemn them, but he doesn't commend them. So one could say that Jesus does not view them as hot or cold, but lukewarm. Reminds you of anybody? Reminds me of the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. He says, uh, Jesus says there, Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see and many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent verse 17 he says there you are saying I am rich have become wealthy and have need of nothing I don't need food I don't need clothing I don't need a house I don't need medicine because I take care of that for myself who's that sound Sounds like Americans. I'm going to tell you what it's like in most other countries tonight. Need and want in verse 17. Notice it. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Again, remember I said need and want. Two different things there, and we're going to be making a lot of distinction between those. <clears throat> As American Christians, do we have any needs physically? Truly, needs like the rest of the world. Do we have all the food, clothing, medicine, a place to live that we want, let, uh, let alone need? How many shirts do you have? just want you to think about your closet and your bureaus. How many shirts do you have? How many pairs of shoes do you have? I want to say ladies, but some of us men, we have a lot of shoes, brother, uh, brothers. <laughs> you know, we pick on the ladies, but a lot of men have a lot of pairs of shoes. How many pairs of pants do you have? How many cars does your family have? How many days could you go without doing laundry and still have clean clothes of some sort to wear? How often do you buy new shirts, pants, and shoes? After you answer that last question, most Americans can probably go over a month. Now, it may not be the most fashionable outfits, but we could probably go longer than a month without having to do laundry. But yet we still need more shirts, pants, and shoes. I don't have it up here, but I could ask it. How many pairs of shirts, I mean, how many shirts or pants, how much clothes do you have in your, 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 your closet that still have the tags on them? Most Americans have quite a few of those, which means they buy them but don't even wear them. How much does a new pair of shoes cost you? 
How much did you lay by in store today as compared to the cost of one pair or two pairs of your shoes? Did you give today out of your abundance? Or did you make a financial sacrifice of any kind? Was your contribution today more like a member of Laodicea and the rich of Luke 21 or a member of the church at Macedonia? Let's go back now to Luke 21 uh, and just remind you what Luke 12, 48 says, to whom much is given, much will be required. Let's go back to Luke 21 and let's take a look at that other person mentioned in that passage and that's the widow and notice that he commends for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had he commends the widow in this passage why because she made a sacrifice Even in poverty, she demonstrated a trust in God by giving all that she had. She made a sacrifice financially. Notice Hebrews. Uh, Well, let's go. This reminds me of uh, the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When, when Paul says there, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Both were in deep poverty. And both made a sacrifice. Macedonians are commended because they sacrificed financially. The widow is commended because she sacrificed financially. Our God requires of us to sacrifice out of our finances for him and for others. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. We looked at 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10. Now I want to go back and look at verses 18 and 19. Let them do good, talking about the rich, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Notice the emphasis of verse 18 that I have highlighted for you. Rich in good works, ready to give, Willing to share. As I said, it's not a sin to be rich. But you have a lot of responsibilities, brethren. There are no hard, fast rules, verses, or principles. If you do this, you're only enjoying your wealth. And if you do this, you're serving your wealth and striving after wealth. And I really wish it would be that if there, there were. But there's not. It just says, Paul says, you can enjoy your, you are to enjoy what God has given you. But understand, there's a point where it's going to cost you your soul. And somewhere in between is the line. And where that line is, I don't know. I'm just asking some questions for you. 
So I'm going to ask a few more questions. Remember, being wealthy is not a sin, but it does have responsibilities. When was the last time you sacrificed financially for God or to help his people? When was the last time you went without something so that you could help other Christians? When was the last time you went without so that you could increase your contribution? Has there ever been a time that you've ever had to make a sacrifice financially for God in any way? We sacrifice for vacations. Have you ever said, uh, we can't eat out as much this month because we're saving for that vacation to Disneyland? We can't eat out as much. We can't do this. We can't do that. We're going to make these sacrifices so we can have a down payment on a house. Have you ever done that? We're going to have to cut back in this area because we want to buy this new car that has all the bells and whistles on it. So we're going to make a sacrifice to do that. Have you done anything like that before? Most Americans have. Many American Christians have. When was the last time you sacrificed for something spiritually? Does your house payment or car payment or other debts you have accumulated keep you from helping others in giving more. There's nothing wrong with having a house payment. There's nothing wrong with having a car payment. There's nothing wrong with purchasing this or that. But if you and your purchase of those items have to decrease what you give to the Lord or you cannot increase what you give to the Lord or or somebody comes up in need and you can't help them because you're strapped with this payment, I wonder how God views that. Paul told Timothy, tell the rich to be content with the necessities of life. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Are we living in houses and driving vehicles or paying off debts that are more than we need? But we have because it makes us comfortable. I remember when I was growing up, we lived in a thousand foot house, square foot, thousand square feet house, up until we gradu- I graduated from college. And my dad was the executive vice president of a national newspaper corporation. I knew how much he made. It was a lot now, let alone in the 1980s. And we lived in a 1,000-square-foot house. And we drove two vehicles that did not have air conditioning. And finally, I believe it was my sophomore year, I sat down with my dad and I said, Dad, I know how much you make. (laughs) Why do we live like this? I will never forget his answer. So that I can give to the Lord and I can help his people. Look at the way you live. 
Is it keeping you from being able to help people? Are the comforts what you're wanting? Are you gaining the whole world but losing your soul in the process? I'm not suggesting you can't have a nice car or houses or clothes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we can't do that. I'm not saying we got to live like those folks in the country south of Florida, that we got to live like those folks over in Kenya and Sierra Leone. I'm not saying we that. I'm suggesting you can enjoy them. But are you serving your wealth? Are you to, is your desire to have more comfort as opposed to having money to help brethren and to give back to the Lord. I can't answer that for you. You're going to have to answer that on your own. But I'm going to tell you something, brethren. I am convinced when I read in the New Testament that one day you're going to have to give an answer to that before our God. And He already knows the answer. What I'm suggesting is the last time you bought a car was the comfort of the car, the things that came with the car first and foremost in your mind, or was God? How does this payment affect my giving more to the Lord or helping others? Has that ever been in your mind when you bought a house or bought a car? Maybe it has. Same with your house payment. Was the Lord anywhere in your mind when you bought your car, the house, the new pair of shoes that cost over $100 or more? How much do you spend each month? Again, all of those things. How much do you give? How much do you help others as compared to to above? We still have a response. After you give of your means every first day of the week, there is still a responsibility to help others. That's what Hebrews is saying. That's what 1 Timothy and 6, verses 17 are saying, uh, and verse 18 is saying. We still have additional responsibilities. We're not laying by in store, and that covers all of our responsibilities. Do you even know how those two areas combine? When was the last time you sacrificed anything physically to help a poor other Christians or to help a preacher who was on a mission trip or give more to the Lord. You know, have you as a family ever sat down with your children and said, look, this month uh, we're going to stop and not eat out. We're not going to buy Cokes. Cokes are not a necessity. Diet Mountain Dew might be. No, no, just kidding. Those are not necessities. And just say as a family, we're going to cut out the ice cream. We're going to cut out the Diet Cokes. We're going to cut out the eating out. For one month, we're going to take all of that money. Brother so-and-so is going to Sierra Leone next month, and we're going to help support his mission trip. Have you ever done that? Would you be willing to sell your house, your car, your lands to help others in need? Be honest. Notice Acts 4. Got a couple things highlighted here. Nor was there anyone among the who lacked, for they all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them. Would you be willing to sell your house? Or would you be like the rich young ruler who walks away sad because he has so many things? 
There's another passage in Luke 10, and it's verse 15. I don't have it on here, 16 maybe. He who is faithful in the much is faithful in the least. He who is faithful in the least is faithful in the much. You will never be willing to do this if you're first not willing to cut out eating out, if you're not willing to cut out Netflix, if you're not willing to cut out the little things, brethren, you do not do the bigger things. You will be more like this man right here. That's a scriptural principle. He was faithful in the much, is faithful in the least. He was faithful in the least, is faithful in the much. Having a nice home, driving a nice car, eating out, and the things like this, we are to enjoy. They are not sins. Don't get me wrong. They are not sins. God has given us our wealth to enjoy, and he wants us to enjoy it. He just doesn't want us to serve it and to have it become the most important thing in our lives. There are no passages saying if you do this or you do that, you're, not, you're, you're in sin. If you do this or you're that, you're wealth, you're not in sin. There are no passages like that. But we have principles and examples given to us in the New Testament, and then we must apply them to our lives and either keep doing what we're doing or make changes. I have to admit, I have to admit, I've never really thought about this until I started going out of this country five years ago. I'm embarrassed to say that. Never really thought about that in terms of this in, in terms of my life. I wish I could go back and make changes in my life, especially with my children when they were at home, to teach them these principles. We are so blessed, brethren, to live in this country. We have so much. Just tell you right now, I still have about four minutes. We'll tell you right now that uh, Leah is a doctor in that country south of Florida. And right now, brethren, and for the past year and a half, they don't even have ibuprofen in that country. They have canceled all surgeries because they cannot afford sutures and cotton. All operations are canceled. She sees patients, and when they come to her, she says, this is what's wrong with you. What do you have in your home that you can take care of? Tell me what you have. And then she tries to figure out what in their home they can take to help them. They don't have penicillin. They have no painkillers. They have nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'll talk about how much food they have and everything else tonight. We need to get out of this country and understand, to help us understand how blessed we are. And to help us understand the responsibilities we have. We've been blessed by our God As such, we can enjoy things few others in the world can. Finally, we need to make sure we are only enjoying and not relying on, accumulating more at the expense of our souls. Are we living like Americans, the worldly that surround us, or more like Christians when it comes to our wealth? 
or if they were to compare how we use our wealth, they would see no difference between those in the world. You have to answer that for yourselves. But again, I state God knows. For everyone sitting in this auditorium. Are we more American Christians? Or are we more just simply Christians? American Christians, when it comes to our wealth, just like the rest of the world. Realizing, brethren, that it's our souls and eternity that is on the line here. We don't want to gain the whole world only to lose our souls. Tonight, I'm going to introduce you to the brethren, some brethren in another country. I'm going to introduce you to your brothers and sisters in that country south of Florida. You will leave encouraged by their faith, I am convinced. This morning, I hope you're going to leave challenged because that was my intention this morning. Because I just wonder if we're preaching enough in this country on the usage of our wealth and whether we're not, whether we're just kind of overlooking it. I'll leave you with one more story. When I came back in June from that country south of Florida, Dina asked me, where do you want to eat? And I said, anywhere that doesn't have rice and beans. And I said, let's go to Olive Garden. I'm going to get emotional. And I will get emotional tonight. I remember walking into Olive Garden the next day after getting back. And then taking us to our table and passing all of that food on those tables. It was more food on probably five of the tables than our brethren eat in that country south of Florida for a month. And I sat down and they brought us the salad and the breadsticks. And I said a prayer for the food we were eating. And I started crying. And I couldn't finish that prayer. We are blessed. I'm going to leave this up here as we sing the closing song. We are blessed. Read this phrase, this phrase is taken from Luke 12. It begin, the, the whole context begins in about verse 15 or so of Luke 12. It's about the second coming. And what Jesus says, to put this in the context, is that those who are going to be beaten with many stripes, cast out of heaven, this is the reason why. Because they failed to give back to him what they should have. Put it in the context. Makes it even clearer. 
I know this has not been a lesson on what you need to do to be saved. It's very simple. You need to hear, believe, repent, and be baptized. If you are here and wish to respond to the gospel invitation in any way, if you need the prayers of this congregation, please make your request known as together we stand and as we sing.